So we're already recording. So okay. just, this is just B roll, I guess. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's just BS. <laughs> BS roll. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I do during the day. Right. That's, that's right. <laughs> From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast. Kenny and Ryan here today, and we're actually uh, recording this in my house because, uh, you know, we've, uh, you know, when we talk to a lot of people, you know, we usually go to the distillery or we do things over Google Hangouts, but, you know, we've had uh, quite a few authors on and authors, not ever always has, a, has an office to go to. And I'm actually very excited about today because we're going to be doing a different type of author and a different type of kind of story today. So Ryan, kind of talk about it. Yeah. And also we, we, don't have enough Patreon supporters to get us a studio, so we're <laughs> uh, we're still in Kenny's house. No, I'm kidding. But uh, no, super excited today to uh, talk to James um, about his book. Um, I'm real. I'm just reading the back here briefly, and I, I think the story sounds fascinating. I'm interested to learn more about it because growing up in Nelson County, a lot of your family, I think what you're about to talk about deals with the prohibition, dealt with the prohibition mm -hmm. and stuff. So that's kind of been in my family's history from back in the day. So interested to talk to you about it and, and dig into it. So with that, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. So today we have James Marker. James is the author of a new novel that is just now coming out to market called The Angel's Share. So James, welcome to the show. I'm happy to be here. So James, you know, before we kick in and start talking about the book, uh, kind of talk about maybe um, just your history with bourbon, right? Uh, I think that's one thing to always kind of get an idea of is where do you really, uh, you know, maybe where you got some of the inspiration? Uh, how did it affect you growing up? Was there a first bottle that you kind of found a factuation with? Kind of, kind of give us some background. Well, I, I guess my history with bourbon, I, I kind of came to the bourbon scene rather late. 
Um, and, you know, actually I really started liking bourbon when I was researching this book. And, uh, I guess I wrote the first draft of this about four or five years ago, or maybe three years ago. Um, and that's when I started touring the distilleries and then trying all the different bourbons from each of them. Um, and that, you know, uh, you know, first I probably started with bourbon with Coke or, co- you know, some kind of cola. <laughs> like but, we all do. Yeah. And then I, you know, you know, start having it on ice and actually I like to drink it, drink it neat now, as long as it's, it's good. Um, but, uh, really it was the, just visiting the distilleries and the, the number one thing, you know, going into to the aging houses and, you know, smelling the angel share. And that's, that's what inspired, uh, uh, for me to write this book. Um, it's so actually, I thought of the title before I thought of the story. Uh, I think it was the Jim Beam uh, distillery. That was the first one uh, I visited with my wife and some friends. And uh, we went into the aging house and they explained to us what the angel share was. And I said right there, <laughs> that that's the name of my next book. I don't have a story, but the, and then, and then the you'll hear the term angel share at every other distillery you go to. <laughs> right, it seems right. like each tour you go to, it's like the same thing over. Yes. And, over. and I, in, in each one of those tours, uh, we would be in the group and they would say, does anybody know what this smell is? And I would raise my hand, angel share. <laughs> <laughs> um, so but let's, the, let's rewind a little bit. So like, whose idea was it to go on the bourbon trail? Like, was it you? Is it a birthday? Was it was it a, a just group of friends said, we need to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went and, I wanted to, once I went, I wanted to go to all of them. So talk about, are you a Kentucky native? Is something that you had missed out on? I I missed out on it. Uh, I grew up here in Louisville. I went to DeSales High School. Uh, I went to UofL. Um, So Kentucky native, born and bred. And um, I don't think I hit my first distillery until, what am I now, 43? I was probably... 39, 40. Yeah. You kind of take it for granted. And, you know, it's yeah. right there. I know. That's what everybody, when my family comes into town, they're like, oh, what do you think of the Louisville Slugger Museum? I'm like, I don't know. I've been, <laughs> right. never been there. I've <laughs> been there since I was in middle school. But so. the first bourbon I ever tried was Old Forester. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's the bourbon that's uh, featured prominently throughout the book just because it was one of the few bourbons to survive prohibition. So let's talk about the uniqueness of it, right? Because we've had, we've had Fred Minicon and Chuck Cowdery and all these people that are, uh, maybe they wouldn't quote, you know, classify themselves as like Michael Veach as being a bourbon historian. Right. Uh, but you know, they're, they're fact tellers. Um, and they try to make not a really novelist. It's yeah. Kinda... And they, they try to make a story out of some of the facts. Uh, however, you kind of took uh, an approach where this is, uh, purely, uh, pretty much fictional, right? Right. So kind of talk about that. Well, you know, I wanted to be his, as historically accurate as possible, um, but that, that's the one good thing I, I can, you know, if I did miss something, I could always say, oh, it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> it's well, well most, of the, most of the stories are fiction anyways. Right. In well, history, they, you know so. what? That, that's what I found out. Um, you know, you, you listen to all these stories and they started, you know, way back in the 18 whatevers and. And I always wonder, you know, how much of this is true? It's like playing a game of telephone, you know, <laughs> right. time against the 10th person. Yeah. Know. And, you know, my distillery in the book is, uh, it's called the Old Sam McPhee Distillery in uh, Twisted Tree, Kentucky. Um, and, it, you know, I just kind of had to imagine what it would have been like back then. Um, and at the same ca- time, ca- you know, I would, you know, weave in what the feel of current distilleries, you know, what they're like now, just to give you a little bit of sense of both. Well, kind of talk about some of the the background of the book itself. Like, how does the story start out and, you know, where does it take place and kind of go a little bit more in depth with that? Okay, well, the story takes place in 1934, just after the repeal of uh, Prohibition. Um, And a 
fictional town called Twisted Tree, Kentucky. Um, uh, on the distillery, there's two trees that grew up side by side and ended up twisting into one another to form one tree. And that's why the, where the t- town got its name. Um, but it's a year after uh, prohibition was repealed. Uh, the family, the McPhee family still lives on the distillery, even though it's been shut down, you know, since 1920. Um, and they're kind of reeling from the, the death of their youngest son, Henry, who uh, was four, year old, four years old and died in a car accident uh, where the father, Barley, was driving. Um, so Barley has basically spent the, the past year since his death sitting in his new Lazy Boy because it just came out about that time and drinking Old Forester and, and looking out his window at the neighboring Potter's Field, which is where they would bury most of the uh, homeless. Um, but usually the, the burials went unattended. You know, nobody would ever show up to them. Um, but on the year anniversary of the son's death, there's a homeless man buried in the Potter's Field whose name is uh, Asher Keating. And that night, there's about three to 400 homeless people come pay the respects, um, which, you know, gets Barley um, and his son, William, who's 18 and a, a budding reporter, you know, out of the house to figure out who this guy was. Um, and it turns out that the, that Asher was a homeless man who um, some people thought was Jesus. Um, he, he helped, you know, feed the other homeless. He helped clothe them. Um, he would do it by stealing. Um, a little bit of Robin Hood, I guess. Right. <laughs> and he, uh, you know, some people say he performed miracles. Um, some people say he was more of a magician. Um, some thought he was crazy. Some, you know, the, I never really answer what exactly Asher Keating was other than he was kind, you know, he was kind to people. Um, but this, this gets the father out of his funk. Um, and the son, um, investigating, you know, more about Asher Keating's life. Um, so what happens is, uh, William, the, the oldest son and the uh, main character of the book, uh, he ends up going to the Courier Journal and, um, publishing, they, they buy his first story and it's breaking news and it's called, uh, the Potter's Field Christ. Um, but because of the, you know, the times it's during, during the great depression, people are looking for answers. Uh, people from all over start flocking to the woods and twisted tree wanting to visit Asher, Asher's grave. Um, because recently the McPhee's daughter had, I'm not, I won't give it away, but a minor mir- miracle <laughs> of her own. Um, so people flock to the woods at, around the distillery and, uh, they want to visit the grave and it, it, it brings life back to the town. Um, but even better, it brings life back to the distillery. So they start, you know, filling the barrels again, loading up the aging house with, uh, bourbon. And, uh, uh, but the problem is the father was also a bootlegger uh, and gangster during the 1920s under a different name. And now that the son has published this article and brought attention to the distillery, the gangsters know where he is. Oh, um, okay. So along with bringing life Out back to the town, oh, yeah, we talked about how in uh, George Remus up in Cincinnati. And so it brings uh danger back to twisted tree along with, uh, um, you know, lot, the life it brings to it. So the, the, the gangster in my book, the main one, his name is Tommy, the bat Barducci. That's um, awesome. he, uh, 
walks around with a Louisville slugger. <laughs> ah, that's real cool. It's, yeah. I like, cool. It, it is kind of interesting because after Prohibition, you know, a lot of there's a lot of small family distilleries probably that you know just didn't recover. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you see, we have that poster we got from Barton's of all the distilleries that have been in Kentucky, and you're like looking at all these right. names, and you know who didn't survive. So right. that seems like an interesting story, just to kind of. I, I like where it's going. I think, you know, with the prohibition, the families, distilleries making a recovery and how right. that process went. Also with the homeless guy, I think gives a little another. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the whole issue with, um, you know, when you start filling up the barrels again, you can't sell it right. You know, right. you got to let it age. Um, but there's a little twist in there um, that has something to do with uh, old Sam, the person who founded it. Um who he actually, you know, killed himself the day prohibition started, and the feds came in and took his distillery. Um, there's a little twist in there at the end with uh, something he did. Oh, okay. okay, so cool. we'll, you know, we'll not, we won't get that away. So <laughs> I guess more about like just the the distillery that was at the at the home. I mean, so it went it went defunct at at prohibition, and right. then from there was it was it just the. Um, uh, the Potter's Christ that that kind of really was the inspiration of of the characters truly starting the the the, the distillery back, thinking that either it's a mechanism for um, financial reasons right. or is it just for you know well, making the town budding again, whatever it the, is. The son uh, William, he you know he he's he's tried his hand at being a reporter, and up until now he's never been successful. The Courier's always turned down his articles. Um, but deep down his passion was always to be the next master distiller of old Sam. Um, and you know, he'd been on his father for the whole past year of starting it again. And, you know, he just didn't want to do it. So it was, you know, he, he was kind of pushing that along. Um, and actually, you know, once the people started coming, he just decided that he was going to do it on his own. Um, he and the wife, uh, or his, he and his mother. Um, and once they started doing it, that's what got barley. You know, he said, well, I don't know if they're going to do it right. So I'm going to jump in there and I'm going to, you know, go ahead and get this thing started again. Um, cause barley, the, the reason he became a bootlegger is, you know, he watched all his, his father's old Sam, uh, bourbon get taken, um, and kind of get, you know, siphoned out of the, collection houses and sold elsewhere. And he said, if somebody's going to sell my father's bourbon, it's going to be me, even if it was illegal. <laughs> yeah. So I guess that's a really, really interesting tale about how you you brought in the bootlegging because that was actually a, you know, you said you mixed in a lot of pieces of history into this because as, as a lot of people do know that prohibition was a time when uh, during the 1920s when, yeah, George Remus, Al Capone was, mm-hmm. were very prominent people. Right. Uh, even here in Louisville, uh, you can go and you can stay downtown and you can go visit yeah, the Rad Skelet. Right. Just at the Sealbach and you can, you can w- listen to all those stories. And, and the, they still have the old Forester prohibition at the Fraser Museum, they might still. I don't okay. remember, but I mean, it's it's. Uh, but I mean, it, it's it's interesting how you how you did all that. It was the idea of 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 having the 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 gangster twist into it, just a, as you said, a way to bring some more suspense and thriller kind of pieces into it, for sure. Um, and I, I love the time period, the nineteen twenties. Um, uh, I think I watched a lot of uh, Boardwalk Empire and Peaky Blinders mm-hmm. while I was pregnant. Um, but I, I, I'm just a big fan of the whole, you know, Prohibition, Roaring Twenties, the gangsters, and 
uh, and I, I, I like to put gangsters in any book that I can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was pretty easy to come up with the name Barley, right? Because right. it's just, you know, mm, right. so kind of talk about any other inspirations for characters or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, I guess, you know, books kind of come in, in pieces. And um, I think the, the first thing I wanted to do, you know, I had the title first, I called it the angel share. And then um, I knew I wanted to do historical. Um, and so I just imagined a, the distillery first and that's when the name Barley came to me. And, um, I think at the time I was reading an article on, I think it was somebody from St. X who did a, a documentary on about a potter's field. Um, so that kind of clicked in and I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to, I'll have a potter's field right next to the distillery. And, um, and from that, it just kind of grows and you add layers layers to it and each each rewrite you add more and you know i don't even know where some of the names come from (laughs) (laughs) just from thin air right is it typical to come up with a title first i don't know i the only i only know what i do (laughs) um so it's not typical it's i guess not typical for me that's the only book that i've done where i have the title first Mm -hmm. um usually i'll have either a character first or the you know the premise and and some of the the plot um but that that's the first one that i've done where i had the title first if you're anything like me then you can't get enough about bourbon and that's why i'm a subscriber to bourbon plus magazine bourbon plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon the farmers who grow the grain the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus Magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S dot com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com bourbon, all lowercase. And go to shopify.com bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today, shopify.com slash bourbon. So about how long did it take you to research and put this thing together? Um, I think I researched probably for two months. Um, that was the fun part though. Or less. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cause you know, <laughs> the research was visiting the bourbon distilleries right. and, and, uh, read, reading books on it. And, um, but I'm more, I, I get too impatient. I, some people can research for months before they write a book. I can't do that. 
I have to I have to write. I have to start the story. So what I do is I'll research a lot as I go along. Um, so I, you know I might write myself to a, a certain point and. You know, like his, Barley's Lazy Boy Chair, and you know, I, I say, okay, was was that even there back then? <laughs> and so I research that, and you say, yes, it was. So I'll put that in there and move on. Um, so I do a lot of researching um, as I go. Was there any particular distilleries, like I guess history or story, that might have inspired you to, you know, to come up with the the, the distillery that um, that I visited that I I think envisioned the most for this was the uh woodford woodford okay yeah um probably my f- one of my favorite tours was uh the buffalo trace uh, i think what was neat about that is i went there one one day with my friend and we were just walking around and this barrel just rolls out <laughs> right in the middle of nowhere rolls you know across the run into another building and i thought that was pretty neat seeing that in action um, plus, uh, the second time I went there on the tour, we were, and our, our guide said, all right, I want y'all to all look over there in the corner. That's a, that's a barrel of Pappy right there. <laughs> and, uh, they had to keep us away from it. I was going to say, were you yeah. Freddie by any yeah. chance? <laughs> so I guess the, uh, the one thing that we always love is we love Woodford. Uh, the, the distillery in itself yeah. is just so iconic. Oh, as, yeah. as, Quintessential as, Kentucky. It, yes. I agree. As, as, as you're, as you're driving up to it, you see the rolling fields, you mm-hmm. see the horse farms and, and not only that as, uh, it's a very clean, uh, operation where right. everything is, uh, kind of always where you expect it to be. So mm-hmm. kind of talk about, um, you know, some more, some more inspirations from the distillery and like how that mapped into the, into the, the book or the story as well. Is it anything that goes into the process of the making bourbon that was, that was into it or anything like that? Uh, well, you know, just at each distillery, you know, seeing the, you know, seeing it f- ferment and bubble and the big vats and you go in there and you smell the corn. And um, so I wanted to make sure um, when I wrote the book that I really, really gave it a, sense of, uh, smell, um, and, you know, where you could really picture what everything looked like. And, um, more than anything that inspired me, uh, and a lot of times I'll, when I'm thinking of a story, I'll think of what it would be like as a movie. Um, and when I did go to Woodford, you know, I, uh, you know, I saw the campus there and leading up to it and I thought, okay, if, if this is ever a movie, this is where I want it, want it filmed. They're just <laughs> maybe, no guest for a couple of weeks and just shoot it. <laughs> um, but to me, that was, a, you know, like you said, that was an iconic place to go. Um, but, you know, I just tried to be as authentic as possible with, with the entire, you know, process of making the bourbon. So talk about some more, uh, I guess we haven't touched into more like any, any your other publications or other things that you've done. Uh, mm-hmm. So people kind of just know more about you as an author. Right. Um, well, I've been writing for about 15 years. Um, I've written about 10 books. Um, the the last book, uh, White Wind Blue, it came out in 2013. Um, that was the first book to go out, you know, across the country. And um, that one takes place in 1929 at Waverly Hills. Um, you do have a fascination with the 20s there, <laughs> don't you? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the time period and uh, not not everything I write. Is gonna actually my next book is set in 1920, <laughs> uh, but not everything I write will be. be what right, what right is it about the period. 20s you like so much? Like I said, I think it's prohibition and 
roaring 20s and gangsters and I don't know. I just, <laughs> bootlegging and bootlegging general. And, yeah. yeah. Um, See, now the only thing we bootleg are like movies. Right? Exactly. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, like the, the DirecTV boxes or whatever. Uh, yeah. that was, well, that was in like the early 2000s. Yeah. You hacked, hacked DirecTV boxes. But the, the Waverly book, uh, White Wind Blue, I mean, it's I'm still doing book clubs. You know, three years later, I'm still doing book clubs locally of people uh, really get into that book. Um, but, you know, that that one's about a doctor there at the, at Waverly who, you know, they don't have a cure for TB. So he he tries to heal people um, by playing music. Uh, so he'll walk around bedside with a violin and play and and ultimately ends up forming an orchestra <laughs> at, at the sanitarium. Um so, but that, you know, that was my first one to go out. I have yet to go there. I'm too scared. <laughs> I, I've only been there once. Uh, you know, I was there for a couple hours researching and uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating it's, place. Yeah. Tell our listeners about Waverly Hills just in case, because they could visit it, I guess, if they, oh, yeah, okay, they if they're into spooks. If you pay them, <laughs> you can go. <laughs> yeah. And um, I guess Halloween season is actually the oh, point yeah. when it really. Well, that's the biggest one because they have, they have their haunted house and, um, they they pretty much do tours I think for the whole year and they and they stay packed it's it's hard to get in, um, but that you know initially when I went there to visit I was wanting to write something a scary novel, um, but once I got there, uh, you know I was just kind of taken in by the history of the place and the architecture and thought that uh, you know something needed to be written, kind of honor honor the people who lived and died there and worked there as opposed to what it's known for now, which is mostly supernatural mm -hmm. type stuff. So I want to get back to the, to the actual book and why you're here today. So kind of talk about um, more about like what this, what this book really means to you in regards of bringing maybe the, one of the first, I mean, the first that I know of, of a, yeah. a fictional story, uh, you know, that kind of brings in a lot of the history of the bourbon industry in itself. Uh, it's nothing that I, I didn't go into it. Thinking you know, that you're think, a revelation or something. Right. Um, <laughs> but I'm slowly realizing that it is. Yeah. Because um, I didn't even look into it to see if it, there was, if it was the first bourbon novel. Um, but it might be. Uh, but uh, I mean, it's pretty neat because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm getting, getting a lot of attention from, you know, whiskey and bourbon writers. And um, I knew it would do pretty well locally just because of what it is. But uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see what kind of life it takes on, as as it, you know, as the word gets out. So, how's the bourbon community? Are they how are they embracing this? How, like you and Fred make boys now, or are they like, damn it, we should have thought of that? <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's pretty neat because I, you know, I, my publicist at the uh, at my publisher, she's handling all the media, um, and I, I said, well, I'll help out too, and um, I'll, I'm going to start contacting. You know, bourbon bloggers, whiskey bloggers, uh, sending out press releases. And it's funny how it seems like they're all connected mm -hmm. <laughs> somehow. Because, uh, uh, I mean, I've heard from um, whiskey bloggers. I've heard from three in Ireland, uh, two in Scotland, about four from England. And they're all asking for the book. Um, like, I got up this morning and there's a blogger from Scotland asked for the copy of the book cover so he can put it out on his social media. Um it's pretty neat. Yeah, you were telling about that that story uh, about their Instagram account where they take bottles yes. of whiskey. Yeah, there's another one. It's called uh, Whiskey with a View uh, on Instagram. They have fifty seven thousand followers, 
And they basically, it looks like they take uh, um, different bottles of bourbon and they set it out in nature. I mean, beautiful uh, scenery behind the bottles, you know, really nice pictures. Um, but they, they said that they wanted to do a, uh, photo shoot with the book. <laughs> so I'm going to make sure I get them a, a copy of the book and see what nice, clean copy. Yeah. Not, yeah nice, <laughs> nice, clean copy. I don't want any provocative poses. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's very interesting because it, it also takes almost, cause you know, you said, you know, Ryan hinted at, you know, Fred Minnick and all these people, they're authors, but I also think it takes a, a different kind of author, right? A different kind of imagination to be able to mm-hmm. put together a story like this. Right. Right. And I think that's the main thing is even though it is a a bourbon whiskey themed novel um, and the cover, I think the cover really pops. um, That can't be the story. Um, So I I think the story revolves around and has a lot to do. You know, every thread in the story might weave through the bourbon aspect and the distillery parts, but it has to be the, I didn't think it could be the main main story and the the characters would have to take care of that. Uh, but I think that, you know, I blended the two to, together as best I could. Yeah. There's only uh, so much you can talk about the, the process of making burn. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's 51% and, corn. And, right. Uh, and you know, and I, and I do get into that, but if I think if I tried to write a novel about that, you know, I might get pe- some people to buy it, but how many people would say this is good. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I'm always fascinated by writers because I've wanted to be a writer, but I can't even daily journal. And so, <laughs> like, talk about your writing process because I, I, a few authors I admire, I, I'm, I'd love digging into their process. What? How is yours? Well, mine's kind of all over the place. I, I definitely don't outline. Um, I know a lot of authors outline. I can't do it. Um, to me, I don't have the patience to sit down and outline a book. And I also, I don't really know exactly where I want to go with it. Um, and I found that if, when I try to outline, you, it sometimes some parts become too contrived because you're trying to get to that next point on the outline instead of just kind of letting it go. Um, so what I do is I, you know, I take notes. Um, you know, if, if I th- I'll think of a line of dialogue um, that might happen three quarters of the way through the book and I'll write it down. And or I might think of a scene that I want to happen here. I'll just write it down, and that they're all in a big stack, and I or you know scattered on a piece of paper, and it looks like a mess. But I know where everything, <laughs> everything is. Um, and generally, I'll finish a chapter and um, write what I want to happen in the next one or two, and then go that you know maybe a mini outline and go, and go from there. Um, but I, I'm a fast writer. Uh, yeah, I wrote the first draft of the angel share in three months. Oh, wow. Um, and then I spent another nine months rewriting it about five times. Um, but it, you know, I, I could, in my, my new book coming out in next January, I wrote that in five months. Um, so I'm, I could probably write two books a year. Wow. That's, that's impressive. impressive. Yeah. So I guess what is, what is this book really taught you? You know, you kind of talked about the community in general, but what does this book kind of taught you about, about bourbon, you know, and, and is this something that, that, you know, you're growing more of a factuation with just in bourbon in general, just because of it? Yes. You just look on top of my refrigerator. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I like, you know, I was more of a, I guess more of a beard drinker and, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. No, but, <laughs> but once I 
started doing my so-called finger quotes here, uh, research, <laughs> uh, visiting the distilleries and getting, you know, getting a bottle from each one. Uh, it, it's not just the, you know, I, I like the taste of most of it. Um, but to me, it was something about the, the, the bottles. I mean, how neat some of the bottles are and just the color of the bourbon inside of it. Um, you know, I like, I like all of it. It's, it's, you know, kind of fascinating to me. Yeah. It's like a Pandora's box once you, exactly. once you open it. And there's like, so, no you know, so many different kinds and, it's it's uh, fun. So I guess uh, a good question is: Is this going to be the the last bourbon novel you might ever write? Um, Are you thinking? I don't know. Think, I, you thinking about maybe how you can take it? Well, twist if this, this one really takes off, maybe I'll do a sequel. A sequel. <laughs> you know, the Angel Share, aged double a, double o, <laughs> double <laughs> or something. I double o. Um, I like it. But what I do plan on doing the the bourbon and the Angel Share, my fictional bourbon is called Old Sam. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already done this with, with the next book I've finished, They Drink Old Sam. Um, so every book that I write from here on out, the characters are going to drink Old Sam. So is an Old um, Sam a four-year, a six-year? What's the proof? <laughs> well, <laughs> Bottled and bond. That's what, what I'm going to – it's bottled and bond. Uh, I'm going to have to uh, sit down and really think about – I'm, I'm trying to remember what I put in there. I think they usually aged it four to six years. Um it fits the description. Then. Yeah, there you exactly. go. Right. So, you know, but, you know, I plan to make old Sam, you know, live on through all the other books. I, I'm even tinkering with the idea of doing old Sam McPhee bourbon t-shirts, um, hats, whatever. It'd be neat if it was a real bourbon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if the book takes off. Be and popping on TTB. Here's a, there yeah. you go. Yeah. It's just kind of, you would have to find aged bourbon and call it call it that because it's you know if i wanted to make my own bourbon now then i just I have to sit on it for four to six nah, years just call mgp yeah somebody will fill up won't have any hair by then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go ahead and we'll start wrapping this up so anybody that wants to get the book kind of how do they get their hands on it uh and kind of what do you want to leave them with well um you can get it anywhere it's on amazon it's on all the ebook channels um as far as local um the only store that's not carrying it i think is uh, books a million, um, but Barnes and Noble has it. Um, I know the Barnes and Noble at the Summit has a ton of them. Carmichael's has a bunch. Uh, we just did a nice event with them last uh, Saturday at Third Turn Brewing. It was a good mm-hmm. time. We I think I sold about hundred books. And so anybody that's that's you know out there nationwide, make sure you do check it out on Amazon. It's called The Angel Share yeah. by the author James Marker. Right, and you should be able to get it at all the Barnes and Nobles across the country, and um, uh, especially in the South, a lot of the Southern in- independent stores uh, ordered a bunch. Awesome. So well, this is this is great because I think you are bringing a, a unique twist to this, right? Mm-hmm. Because you know the guests that that we always have on are the ones that are in the industry, right? The right. ones that are talking about the facts behind it. Uh, and maybe some of the fiction behind it as right. well, but this is a true a true fictional novel that right. that takes the the best of you know the history that we have and as you said weave them together to actually make a a good coherent story right. out of it. So so you know those are your experts, and I get to pretend to be an expert. <laughs> <laughs> That's what fiction is. <laughs> you take the easy route, That's right? It. It's That's easy, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't work harder, work smarter. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so if you like what you hear, make sure you support the show on Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot slash bourbon pursuit and follow us on those great social media channels instagram facebook and twitter at bourbon pursuit 
Yeah, James, thanks for taking the time. I'm fascinated by the story. I can't wait to dig in into this novel and uh, find more about the miracles and, you know, the angel share. So thanks for having me. I I can talk fiction and bourbon anytime. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thanks again. And and, uh, to the listeners, if you have any show suggestions, feedback, comments, we love hearing from you. Um, We bring this content for you guys. So just let us know what you want to hear and we'll bring it to you. So we'll see you next time.